When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Turn up your volume. volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. With Tony Marinara. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire back to Lafleur. The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. <laughs> there is a ball. Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle une passe devant. Et c'est bon. Ce sera la victoire des Canadiens. pour les Canadiens. Le troisième de l'histoire. You found the dogs, John. You found the dogs. He found the dogs. And all together, they worked a young team to the top. And now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground. Your premier gaming destination. It's going to be sick. Marinero on this Wednesday and the way things are going for the Montreal Canadiens, I think it's safe to say that a 25th Stanley Cup banner will not be hanging from the Raptors of the Bell Center in Montreal. But then again, it is sport, and the beauty of sport is that anything can happen. Upsets has happened before. Shocks around the world have happened before. Underdog teams, Cinderella stories have happened before, but clearly the Montreal Canadiens are off to a pretty difficult start. They lost game one in a shootout versus the Toronto Maple Leafs. They beat the Chicago Blackhawks by a goal in game number two. And last night in Montreal, they lost by a score of 5-2 to two versus the Minnesota Wild. And after the game, the Montreal Canadiens made the news official that we all feared that our buddy Eric Engels of Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca told us on Monday afternoon via Twitter. And then on Monday night, we confirmed that we had the same report as Eric, who originally reported a torn ACL and a torn MCL for Kirby Dock. And uh, that would put his season in jeopardy. We told you on Monday night, his season is over. Last night, the Montreal Canadiens made it official. They told you his season is over. That wasn't the only piece of bad news. Caden Gooley left the second period with about four minutes to go in period number two. He did not return for the game. He is being evaluated. And a lot of people are fearing that Caden Gooley is going to be out long term. That would be a tough way, a really tough way to start the season. You know, it's a great way to start the show tonight. 
I'd like to bring in a gentleman who's been on the podcast before. I love them so much. I told Daniello and Sammy and Master Control, open up the bank, open up the vault, do whatever you can. Get me Craig Button. Craig, how are you? I'm great, Tony, and uh, it's a pleasure to join you. And uh, thanks for asking me to be part of it. And, you know, when you think about the passion of the uh, Montreal Canadiens fans, I think that you're a poster uh, boy for that. I mean, nobody loves the Canadians more than you. There's a lot that love them as much as you, but there's nobody that loves them more than you. And I think that your passion, your enthusiasm for the Canadians comes through loud and clear all the time. So it's it's a great pleasure for me to be joining you on the SICK Podcast. Thank you very much, Craig. I very much appreciate that. He is the director of scouting for TSN. Among his other titles, you'll see him on uh, on games. He's going to be in Montreal, actually. I've been told sometime in the month of December, so I hope I can catch up with you for a beverage, maybe a, a nice little labit at TB right over here. Why not? I can't think of any reason, so I'm not going to give any reason why not. It's only about firming up the details of getting together. Fantastic stuff. Craig, when you heard that Kirby Doc was out for the rest of the season with a torn ACL and torn MCL, the first thing you said was? Boy, does Kirby have bad luck. And, you know, yeah, I, I think back to the World Junior Tournament in Edmonton and that in that first COVID, post-COVID tournament. And, you know, in the pre-tourney game, Kirby had been named captain of the, of the of Team Canada. And he had that – he got bumped in the middle of the ice. And, you know, we saw that he had to have hand surgery uh, and, and took him out of the tournament. Now you see that play that happened. Uh, and, and you think about that play where he got hit. That play happens thousands of times in the course of an NHL season. And for Kirby to suffer the outcome that he did, no other no other words came to mind than, boy, has he had some bad luck in, in those two instances. And, you know, Marty St. Louis talked about how hard players work in the offseason to get prepared to get through a season. And for Kirby's season to end so early and knowing that he, his next opportunity will only come in the 24-25 season, you know, all we can hope for is that Kirby finds a way uh, to find uh, what I would call a, a sense of comfort that, like, there's nothing wrong with him. It's just bad luck. Rehab, recover, and then get yourself ready for next season because there's no question that Kirby Doc has a lot of uh, high-end skills and a lot of attributes that any team would want on their team. And Kirby playing healthy and on the ice for the Canadians is a boon for all. What an important development year, though, that if, if to make matters worse that he's missing out on. Here's a team that has openly said they're in a rebuild. They'd like to make the playoffs. If they don't, it's not the end of the world. Uh, most people seem to think that they probably won't make the playoffs for another couple of years. He's playing for an offensive-minded coach. He's really coming into his own. You're starting to get a glimpse of what he can do. Seems like all the pieces are starting to fall in place. It's starting to come together. He's starting to look like that package that the Chicago Blackhawks envisioned in him when they made him the third pick overall. He would have had a lot of flexibility where Marty St. Louis, chances are you probably would have even seen him every now and then on the wing with Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki if they would have to shorten the bench or they're looking for a goal late in a hockey game. And this happens. What a what terrible, it's never good timing, Craig, but it can't get worse than this. 
You're right. It's, it, it is never good timing. And, and when you talk about the development path for Kirby and, and for him to find that next level, and you think about, you know, the trade they made for him, a real significant trade. And you look at how Marty wants to coach. And when you have these types of options, and Kirby Doc provides you a lot of different options, you know, playing in the middle of the ice, loading up a top line, creating headaches for your opponent, you know, those are the types of qualities that any team would like to have. And certainly when you have a player of Kirby Doc's abilities, that affords you those opportunities. And, and coaches dream, coaches think, oh, when can I use that player? When can I really take advantage of the opportunity? Well, Marty's going to have to wait till next season as well. And, and, and that's why when I talk about, first of all, you know, recover, then rehab and get yourself ready. He, he, he'll be 24 years of age. You know, that is still a very young player. And, and yes, he's had a couple of setbacks. But if anybody could tell you about, you know, finding their way at a little bit older age, having some setbacks early in a career, and then ending up being a Hall of Famer, it just happens to be the entrepreneur chef for the Canadians de Montréal, Martin yeah. St. Louis. He, he, he was 26 years old before he really found his way into the NHL on a regular basis, 27 when he started to establish himself as a star, and then we know what he did after that. So if anybody can relate to helping a young player like Kirby navigate through this challenging time, and and, and certainly one where you're, where, where you're questioning, oh, God, what, what else could happen to me? I think Marty St. Louis might be in a perfect position to be able to help Kirby uh, work through that and understand that, that, hey, yeah, it's a setback. That's all it is. I got very good news. As a matter of fact, he's 22, and he'll be 23 on the 21st of January. So You're right. even a year younger, right. isn't that great? Okay. But it's just. Yeah, I had 2000. I had 2000 born in my head and I knew he was a 2001 born. And, you know, but the, yeah, thank you for correcting right. me on that. Yeah, and, no, and that's no, it. No that's young. That's young. But having said all that, we know he's a, he, we know he's young. We know he's an athlete. We know he's big. We know he's strong. We know science is great. We know he'll have the best doctors looking after him. Is this an injury? Or are these injuries that scare you from previous experience? Well, if we're talking about the 1970s with Bobby Orr, yeah, but science has advanced. And, you know, how many times have we heard, geez, if, if, if science was better, Bobby Orr would have had even more brilliant years. You know, my wife works with the Canadian Olympic Committee, and so she's working with lots of athletes. And I, I've seen lots of athletes, uh, she's seen lots of athletes, but that have skiers specifically I'll talk about, that have had ACL tears and they've had to have the reconstruction. And not only do they come back, a lot of times they come back stronger, able to do more because of the technology and because of the science and the advances in, in, in medicine and, and in surgical procedures. So th there was a time when I would have said, yeah, maybe it's cause for concern. And, and, and the other thing that I would say, too, if, if Kirby was a different type of player, if Kirby was a reckless player that was oblivious to patients on the ice where you you know you might leave yourself vulnerable that might add a little bit of concern to it but he's not that type of player and because of the advances in science and medical science with respect to these specific types of injuries i don't have any doubt that kirby's going to come back stronger and just as good as where he was because i've seen too much evidence of it over the years with athletes not only in hockey but with athletes in other sports as well that have that, that have uh, returned not returned to form, 
not return to play, return to form. And I think that's what everybody wants to see Kirby do. And I don't have any question that he will return to form. So physically, we feel good about it. I guess the big obstacle is going to be mentally because athletes uh, deal with that kind of stuff a little bit differently. Some go into it with a fear of, I'm going to tear my ACL again. And they say that when you play with fear, that's when you actually tear it. But if he can get over that mental, obst- that mental obstacle or that, or that block there, then he's off to the races, I guess, huh? 100%. And one of the things about, you know, when you get injured, you, you start to replay those spots on the ice. You start to think about, you know, so getting back into those same spots on the ice and feeling comfortable that you're not going to get hurt, it becomes an important thing. I mean, the play that he got hurt on at the World Junior pre-tourney game, again, a play that happens thousands of times in the course of a game, and, and yet he, he has a, a, a real serious injury. So now to, to go through that, regular occurrence you go okay i can get through that now you know going down the boards getting punched up over the boards by tenority you start to go okay like that's going to happen lots to kirby but like skiers that blow out their knee doing a tight corner on, on, on whether it be on a downhill or a giant slalom or whatnot they have to get back to that spot of making that exact same turn with a reconstructed knee and they've done it. And, and yes, there is a, a mental process to that. But I, you have the confidence in the, in the medical science. And, and that's why I think Marty can be really important for him. Marty was dealing with a different type of adversity. But I think the, the, the experience that he has can help him. And certainly, Kirby's going to be rehabbing. He's going to be rehabbing with, with potentially some other athletes, whether it be hockey players or other athletes from other sports which will help him get through that. But once he gets into those spots and he goes, oh, I go down the boards again, I get rubbed out by a, a defender, and I'm just fine, that'll help him get through it. But the confidence comes by knowing, hey, listen, my knee's strong. And I, I think if, if medical science wasn't what it was, you, you might go into it with a little bit of doubt. But I don't think that Kirby or any athlete should have any doubt about the advances we've seen in medical science and this type of procedure. So th- th- there is that process of, of going through it mentally, but I, I think we have a lot of resources and Kirby certainly will have them at his disposal as he, as he proceeds through this uh, process. I want to talk about what we saw last night in the 5-2 loss to the Minnesota Wild, but I will let you know that I will get back to the Montreal Canadiens center ice position and depth chart throughout (laughs) the organization a little bit later on, okay? So let's get back to it now. We know that special teams has been hurting them for a long time. I mean, the last time they had a good power play, Guy Carboneau was the coach, and I think Andre Markov, Sheldon Surrey, and Alex Kovalev were on that power play, Okay. Uh, Kirk Muller had some ups and downs, probably more downs than ups with the power play. The last couple of years since Muller has been replaced for Alex Burroughs, very unfortunately, things have not gone according to plan. In terms of the power play, they've had the worst, second worst, third worst power play in the league the last couple of years. Last night, when on the power play, they give up two shorthanded goals in a span of 26 seconds. Two shorthanded goals in a span of 26 seconds. When you look at the Canadians' power play, should we be looking at Burroughs knowing that they don't have a big shot on the point just yet and they could probably use someone else who can score whose name isn't Cole Caulfield? Or is it Burroughs' job to make the most of what he has and it's not working out? What can you tell me, Craig? 
So you just mentioned the power play with Sure. Oh, yeah, there's the big shot, which is a weapon on a power play. Markov was brilliant. The vision, the ability to thread the needle, make the passes. And then you had Kovalev. Kovalev could beat a defender like that. He could beat him left. He could beat him right. And so those become dangerous elements for a power play, and they, and they give you a real advantage. You look at the Edmonton Oilers power play. You know, you look at Dry Seidel, you look at Nugent Hopkins, you look at McDavid. If you had a power play with only Connor McDavid on it, I, I don't like the chances for it to be that good because you need somebody that's going to hunt pucks around the net and recover pucks. You need the shot from the point. Evan Bouchard really shoots the puck well from the point. So I bring that up as, as, as from the historical part of it for the Canadians, the present with the Edmonton Oilers. You have to look at the guy who's running the power play. Whose job is it to implement the power play? You know what's interesting is, is that when Dominic Ducharme took over the team and Alex Burroughs came in, the power play actually started to run pretty good at, at the outset. You yes. know, and, and, and that happens. We see immediate results. Well, it hasn't been the case for much too long now. And that falls on it. I think coaches – fall in love with their own diagrams and their own, okay, this is how we're going to run a power play. If you do not have the elements that that can work one power play, you better think about having a different power play. You better think about, okay, what type of personnel do I have that is going to give me a real good opportunity to be dangerous on the power play? Systems don't work with players that don't fit that particular setup. And and that's that's I don't care if you're a football team. I remember John Harbaugh saying this a couple years ago about Joe Flacco. He said, when we had Joe Flacco, we had a drop-back quarterback that played a drop-back offense. We played very differently. When we went out and changed our quarterback and we brought in Lamar Jackson, he goes, we played completely different. If we asked Lamar to play like Joe, he wouldn't have had success. And if we asked Joe to play like Lamar, we wouldn't have had success. I think Alex Burroughs has got to look at what gives his team success. Nothing more, nothing less. It's on him. And I think we know how good a goal scorer and shooter Cole Caulfield is. But when you only have to worry about him or he becomes your primary focus, Scotty Bowman said this many years ago about Brett Hall. Nothing easier than taking one player out of the game and specifically on the power play. I watched him do it in Detroit against the St. Louis Blues and Brett Hall. So you have to be able to adjust. You have to be able to adjust with the personnel you have and not fall in love. Well, here's our setup. Here's how we're going to do things. They have a lot of the elements. uh, They have elements that successful power plays haven't had, and that's why I bring up McDavid. You get a five McDavid's on the power play, it's not going to be successful, I guarantee you, because you need players in front of the net. You need players that can shoot the puck and get it through traffic from the point. You need guys to recover pucks and hunt pucks. Connor McDavid is brilliant. And the, and the other thing about the Edmonton Oilers power play, they, they, they're not so predictable. And because those players are allowed to have a measure of creativity. I, I get it. Everybody wants to set up and everybody wants to have a set plan. Montreal Canadiens have to look at the set plan. And that starts with the power play coach. You got you to gotta move your feet. I love the way Tampa Bay run their power play. It seems like the guys aren't static. They're always moving around. Then again, though, that is a team that has a tremendous amount of talent. You throw Kucherov, you throw Stamkos, you throw Braden Point, you throw Hedman. You know, some of those guys in the power play, <laughs> they're going to score. I get that. But I understand what you're saying. What you're saying is they have to look at who their personnel is, and they have to find out, okay, 
how are we going to enter the offensive zone? Do we make one guy carry it in, or do we have to dump it in and go after it? Once we dump it in, we go after it, or once we carry it in, how do we set up? Do we go to the net? Do we screen the net? Do we look for the big shot? What do we do? you got to find different ways. You're right. It's probably a touchy situation for Marty St. Louis, what I'm going to ask you, but uh, but I can't wait to hear your opinion on this. Marty was brought in for a consultant, as a consultant, with the Columbus Blue Jackets to help out John Tortorella. One of the responsibilities he was given was to work with the power play. Marty's there. He's the head coach. In the At the end of the day, the head coach always oversees everything. We get that. But coaches like to delegate, and they like to give out responsibilities to members of their staff. Trevor Litowski takes care of the penalty kill. Alex Burroughs takes care of the power play. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're Marty St. Louis. You were one of the best players in the game when you played on that power play. You know how to run a power play, and you know how a successful power play is run. I'm sure that Marty has input on the power play, but would you like to see Marty take over the power play? And what does that cause within a staff if that happens? Okay, so, like, you know, it's not hard for me to answer this. So we talk about Marty as a player, and, and, and he was very good. We talk about him coming in to Columbus to advise John Tortorella on the power play. You know, I know Marty. Marty's got a great creative mind, and, and he's got a great imagination. Marty, Marty knows the game inside out from a coach, and he really does. And he's only going to get better with the experiences at, 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 in the NHL, in my view, because he's that smart, he's that creative, and he's always thinking. So now we get to the, to, to the crux of the question. Marty is the, Marty is the uh, head coach. And so if, and, and we hear it all the time, you know, you're, you're in the winning business. Well, if you, you, it's great to delegate. You have people around you, and you delegate to them, and you give them responsibility. But I'm going to tell you what Bob Gainey said to, uh, said to us in uh, Dallas, and, and he said it to everybody. He goes, here's your job. Here's, what, here's the outcomes we need. Here's what we want to see it. Here's what we're dealing with. He goes, now I'm tasking you to do the job. And he said, it's real simple. He said, uh, if we don't get the outcomes, I'm going to have to consider having somebody else do the job. I don't know how much more simple it gets. You know what? So you're Alex Burroughs, and I'm Marty, I'm Marty saying, Alex, you got to be better. So what's the, what's, what's the leeway that Marty gives to Alex Burroughs at the, to, to get it better? Well, now you're getting evidence that it's not getting better. So what I would say is, if it's not getting better, and Marty, you're the guy that's going to be held responsible and accountable for it, take it over. Get somebody else to do it. Because it's clear that Alex right now is not even coming close to getting the outcomes. Not even close. And people will say, oh, that's so, geez, well, what are you going to do? Alex, do a better job. All right, so you're Marty. I'm Alex. We're in a meeting. You say to me, Alex, you need to be better. I look at you and I say, Marty, I'd like to, but I can't make chicken salad out of chicken feathers. You say what? 
You know what I say? Your job is to make it better. Your job is to is to work with what you have. You want to say you have you, you know chicken salad, you don't have enough chicken. That, that that's not a good enough answer. And you know what? Like it's not always about like show like you, you're going to show them where we're falling short. The, the shorthanded goals against versus Minnesota are a good example. And but it's not one game. It's not one week. It's not one season. It's been going on for 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 a while now. And so you got lots of examples to show them. I'm sure that Marty's been patient with them. So if you're gonna again, I'm I'm gonna go back. You want to make excuses, Alex? It's even a better reason for me to find a different uh, a different person to run it because we don't need excuses. We don't need to hear what we don't have. We need to be better, and 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 we're not good enough, and we're not better, and that's your your domain. And so whatever it is, and and the bottom line is like be better. You know, I, I, I tell this story, Tony, I've told this story a number of times over the years. Tony Amonti was a young player playing for the U.S. junior team. And his dad, Louie, was about a five-foot-five blue-collar worker from Boston. And Tony was a good player. Well, at the World Junior Tournament, he wasn't playing a lot. He wasn't getting nice time. And Tony came out after the game, and he kind of had that droop on and hanging his head. And, you know, he said – and he, his dad kind of peeks into him in his little Italian uh, accent. He goes, you want to play ball? And Tony kind of gets up on the balls of his feet and he says, yeah. And his dad says, play better. There you go. Alex, you need to be better. Don't tell me what you can't do. I need you to, to, to be better. All right. Fantastic stuff. All right. Uri Slavkowski. I want to talk to you about him. You saw his rookie season last year. Unfortunately for him, it was shortened due to injury. I believe he played 39 games. There was a big talk last year whether or not Uri should have gone to the World Juniors. It was my opinion for what it's worth that he should have. But I'm just a former radio guy turned podcaster who's working out of his basement (laughs) right now, right? I have no qualifications other than having an opinion. I think he should have gone to the World Juniors. And after that, I think he should have been in Laval. And I don't believe in skipping development steps. I don't believe he was ready. I think they realized that early on, but they probably thought, hey, if we send them down to Laval, it's probably going to ruin his confidence. Or B, they probably thought that there were more people to help him out and he would get better practicing with NHLers every day. Be it what it is. Game one of the season, he was very good in Toronto. And then Kirby Doc gets injured midway through that uh, first period versus the Chicago Blackhawks and Yuri Slavkowski last night. I liked his line mates, Newhook and Pearson. I didn't like Yuri very much. As a matter of fact, at times, I thought he looked a little lost on the ice. Tell me what you thought of his rookie season last year. Tell me what you would have done last year. Tell me what you would do with him this year. Well, the first place I'm going to start, I'm going to start with you. Okay, you can talk about being a former radio guy and doing a podcast from your basement. One of the beautiful things about uh, hockey being such a, a major part of our lives in Canada is, is, is there's so many knowledgeable people, and you're knowledgeable, Tony. And so people, if they want to dismiss your opinion because you didn't play the game, Scotty Bowman didn't play. You know, he was just a coach. So are we going to dismiss Scotty Bowman? Are we going to dis- dismiss Kent Hughes? because he didn't play, or Jeff Gordon, don't dismiss yourself. And, and I know what you're saying. I know it's tongue-in-cheek. People in, in, in our country, 
And, and this is why it's so important. You're not fooling anybody. Nobody's fooling anybody. The fans know. People involved in the game, covering the game, know. You're not fooling anybody. You think anybody fooled Red Fisher? Red Fisher knew what the hell was going on. Nobody said so he didn't have to play the game to know what was going on. So, so that's my little uh, – that, that, that's my little uh, – uh, diatribe on this. So, so thank move you, on thank, there. thank you for that. The checks in the mail. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No check necessary. Listen, you know, you're an 18 year old player. First overall draft pick. I'm going to ask you a question. You, you, you may know the answer. You may not. Yeah. You know, who was the first number one overall pick to go back to junior and not start in the NHL? It was Mike Medano in 1988. We had drafted him in Minnesota first overall. And you know, it was Jack Ferreira. I give Jack Ferreira all the credit. Jack Ferreira had just become the general manager. He said, you know what? You know, go back. Our team isn't good enough. You're not ready. You know, there's a lot of, you know, Trevor Linden, you know, Trevor Linden was starting in uh, Vancouver, and there was and that, and that was a debate, at the, you know, who's going to go first that year. Much like there was a debate about Slavkovsky. Let, let so me ask you this. You, pardon me. Did, did Owen Power start? Uh, no, he, he, okay. So I should have said college players, like, you know, gym yeah, players it. that could have come into the, I mean, Owen could have come in. You're right. He went back, uh, and, and you're right. Most recently. So before Owen, like he, he went back to, 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 to junior and, 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 and I mean, Mike was unbelievable. He broke his hand, you know, coincidentally or ironically with Kirby, he broke his hand in an all-star game and missed the rest of the season after he gone back to junior. My point here was that, Every player progresses at different rates. The NHL is a league where you're playing against the best in the world, players that have been the best in the world at the top of their game for years. So to come into the league, it, it takes a lot of it's – a, it's a big challenge. It's a big, big, big challenge. And, yeah, we see McDavid come in, but they're rare. Like those players that come in the league at 18 and can really be good players are rare. So I'm going to go back to Europe. I thought Uri should have been back in TPS last year in Turku. Go back to Finland, play out of the spotlight, develop your offensive game. Okay, that's fine. They say we're going to start the year. He missed a great opportunity. You know, I've heard Kent, and, and I know Kent's committed to it. This isn't about questioning his commitment. Mm -hmm. But when you talk about development, going and playing with your national team at the World Junior Tournament with your peer group, against your peer group, is an important part of development. So one part of his development, part uh, a part of development was missed, never to be recovered. And that Slova Slova the, the Slovakia team, we saw what they did versus Canada. Who's to say that if they have Slavkovsky, they don't beat Canada in that game? Yeah. So missed opportunity there. We, we saw him, Dave Poulin said to me early in the year last year, and I, when I say early, first, first four, six weeks, he goes, Craig, he goes, I'm not so sure. He's leaving himself in spots where he's vulnerable. He doesn't realize the speed of the game, doesn't understand, you know, where other players might be ready to step on, uh, step into him. And, and that awareness becomes a big part of the game. It happens way faster. So, yeah, he got hurt. Okay, it's unfortunate or whatnot. But when you look at Uri and you look at where, where he's at, yeah, he's the first overall pick. That's not going to change. And what what you need to do is is – if you're if your organization and this is me talking, if you're not ready to be a competitive team for X amount of years, then put your players in the best positions to develop and consider that there's places outside of the NHL for him. And I was asked this question leading into the season: 
what would be a successful year for Uri Slavkovsky? And people want to say goals and assists. I, I think the best year to, to define success is him progressing, gaining confidence, and playing lots of meaningful minutes. If he can do it at the NHL level, well, that's great. But if he can't, then get him out of there and put him in Laval or put him somewhere where he can start to build those skills. Because if you start to lose those, if you start to lose the opportunities to develop those skills and build those skills, well, all of a sudden you're you're one year away from it. Now you're two years away from it. I saw it happen with Curtis Lazar. Curtis Lazar was one of the best goal scorers in Canada at 15. He goes to Edmonton. He was a top pick in the Western Hockey League. He ends up being a first-round draft pick, scores 50 or 46 goals, whatever he did, helps the team win the Memorial Cup. And then the Ottawa Senators say, oh, we got we got to have him in the NHL. Well, now they have him as a third-line player, playing down the lineup, killing penalties. He's not developing his offense. Comes back to the World Junior in 2015. Captain, they win. Comes back. He's a third-line, fourth-line player. He's two years into his NHL career. We're going to send you down to the minors to go find your offensive game. You know what's happened to Curtis Lazar? He's never found his offensive game. And, and, I, and I say this, and I say it with knowledge, and it's truth. NHL teams fail players more than players fail on their own. And the Montreal Canadiens better be cognizant of that. Because right now, I don't see them helping Slavkovsky succeed. I think they're putting him in a position to potentially not reach the level they feel he can get to. You know, Craig, I, I love this kid. He's got a tremendous personality. Yes. He's extremely likable. Looks like he's a coachable player too. But I will say this, based on everything we've been told and we've heard, talking to Jeff Gordon, more so talking to Kent Hughes, even more so talking to Marty St. Louis, where they talk about hockey IQ, where they talk about the brain, where they talk about seeing the ice, where they talk about vision, where they talk about thinking the game, I am now shocked that the player they chose was a player who shot up in the ranks because he was so big, he was so strong, he just outpowered everyone. He had a big-time year. It was his breakout year. But if you think about what Kent Hughes and especially Marty St. Louis, Adam Nicholas have been talking, have been preaching, have been saying the way they want to go, that's Logan Cooley. No? Uh, you, you can't get an argument from me. You know, I know it's early. I'm not one to do judgments on drafts, you know, a, a short year after they've been drafted. But I, I think that they're... The early evidence is that Logan Cooley appears to be the best player from the from that draft. Based and, and let's go back and look at what Logan did. So Logan went back to the University of Minnesota. He dominated college hockey. He was a finalist for the Hobie Baker. He went to the World Junior Tournament. And outside of Connor Bedard, or after Connor Bedard, I should say, he he, he might have been the second most dominant player in the tournament. So now you, you've gone and you've you've thoroughly dominated your level of play in college and develop your offensive talents. You go to your peer group and you develop those skills. And, and, and you know, wait a second, my peer group, I've just done it at, at, at the best at the U20 level across the world. Uri Slavkovsky, two of those he did not have the opportunity to do. So now yeah. we're surprised that he's fallen behind? We're surprised? Look, look, what I would say to you, Tony, is don't be surprised. 
don't be surprised. And regardless of how we might redo the draft, if you, if you, I always say, believe in the player, draft the player, celebrate it, but then set them up to succeed. Yeah. I don't think that's happened. And yeah. people say, oh, you're being critical. I am being critical, but I've said it lots over the years. And, and, and let me just say this to you too, Tony. People say, oh, yeah, yeah, it's easier for you to say. I lived it. I was in Dallas. We never rushed players along. We put them back. We let them grow. We let them do it. I came to Calgary, and I did not help a player get to be the best player he could be, and a player that I thought had a lot of potential, and that was Oleg Saprikin. I went against my own beliefs, my own philosophy. Oleg Saprikin, first-round draft pick, 19-year-old kid, great kid, really good player, an offensive player. Well, now I get him in the NHL at 19. He clearly wasn't ready. So guess what? I, I failed Oleg Saprikin to a certain degree. So I'm speaking from experience as a manager who did it. So when I speak about teams failing players as much as players failing on their own, that's truth. Yeah, and look, and I'm not saying that, uh, you know, uh, you know, just over a year later that Uri Slavkowski is a bad pick either. I'm sure he's no, going to no, go have a good NHL career. All I'm saying is, based on what they're selling, I'm surprised yeah. he's the guy they chose. And the, th- the way I think it went down is I think Nick Bobrov just fell in love with what Uri Slavkowski did, the overall package. He did have an unbelievable year, a more impressive year than everyone else in that draft class. And he sold it to everyone. And I think what happened was, I think everyone wants to be on board. And I think can't use Jeff Gordon and Marty St. Louis said, hey, you know, we're not scouting as many games as Nick Bobrov and his staff are. If they say he's the guy, well, we hired them to make those decisions. So he's the guy. And so I think it was Bobrov that fell in love with him. But I think had Marty and Kent had all the information, you would think Kent would have a lot because, of course, he knew Logan Cooley very well which is another thing that's surprising, but I think they just, they didn't want to go over their director of amateur scouting's head. That's what I think happened. But that's okay. How I talked about the power play, you trust people to do their job. And then, and then you evaluate how they're doing their job, the results they're getting or not getting, and then you make decisions. I I, I don't think as a matter, if you have a, if you if you have Nick Bobroff, Bobroff, and you you have him do, then you got to trust him to do the job. You know, if you're not going to trust him to do the job, then don't have him. And, and you go out and do it. And that's not Kent's job. That's uh, that, that's not Marty St. Louis' job. You work. And 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 again, I'm I'm with you, Tony. I like your Isofkowski. I think he's a really good player. But you have to always understand what a player is, also. And there's a lot of over projection of players when they're drafted. Instead of a, you know who I see your Isofkowski like. I see him like. And, and when I say it, understand I'm taking away an element that was a big part of this player's game. I think if he can become a player in, in terms of um, playing and carving out space like Milan Lucic was, Milan was a fighter, Uri's not a fighter. Like, you know, but that big player that could carve out space, play with good players, get you 20 to 25 goals, get you 50 points or 55 points. Make your team harder to play against. Play along the wall. Play in the cycle game. Play at the net. I think if Uri Slavkowski can become a, a, a player that was really a good, solid player for the Bruins, never an all-star, never, but somebody that helped you win, helped you against, I think if Uri Slavkowski can become that type of a player, then the Canadians should be really happy. 
There's a couple of players who played for the Montreal Canadiens over the last 30 years or so that when I look at Slavkowski, I think that he has something that they had or he can probably be something like them. One of them is Eric Cole. And the other one, and this I think could probably be, you know, best case scenario, and I, I hope for your eye, it's not, it's going to be even better than that. But if I told you today that Uri Slavkovsky could become John LeClaire, is that a stretch? Is that something that you'd be uh, happy with? He'd be extremely happy with it. I mean, John LeClaire was a 50-goal scorer. And, you know, and so, next to the big so, so, on the Legion of Doom line. That's okay. Like, yeah. you know, everybody says that you, to score 50 playing with a good player, you you got to know how to take advantage. And John right. did. And John was a really good player. And there's no question about it. But, you, you know, if, if he could fall in between, Eric Cole and, and John LeClaire, I think it would be fantastic. Let's not forget, you and me are old enough, Tony, to remember. Well, hold on, a second. Is- hold on a sec. It won't be fantastic if Logan Cooley turns into Patrick Kane. <laughs> that- no, it, it won't be. It, it, we're gonna, no, you're another, right. riot, another riot. Another riot. Okay. But, but let's, just, let's, just, let's just wait and let that play out. But Sam Pollock in 1973 said, we're drafting Bob Gainey. So Bob Gainey wasn't drafted because he was going to be a 40-goal scorer. Sam Pollock looked at it and said, this is what our team needs. And there's nothing wrong with saying, this is what we want. And, and that's why I say celebrate it. So it, if, if Uri Slavkovsky can, can be like Milan Lucic was for the Bruins, if, if he can become something like the way John LeClaire played, that's a real positive. But knowing what you have and knowing what – you still have to develop that player along those lines. You still have to work with him to be able to help him realize that potential. You know, we talked – John LeClaire came out of college. He came out of Vermont. I mean, he, he wasn't a player. I mean, when he got drafted out of high school, and then he comes in and, like, he goes through a period of time. He wasn't in the NHL at 18. Bob Ganey was 20 years old when he came to the NHL. You're like Slavkowski's 19 years old. And that's why it's so imperative to set him up on a development path where he can become whatever you thought he could become, that you help him try to become as close to that, if not that, as you possibly can. I think that's the key here. All right. Okay. Amazing stuff. So I'm watching that game versus the the Minnesota Wild. I don't know why I'm going the way of the draft here, but I have to ask you this. I'm watching that game versus the Minnesota Wild, and Kaprizov is like a magician on that power play. Uh, and and I'm watching him, and I'm thinking, man, the Canadians could use a player like this on the power play going forward. <laughs> and when I think of Prisov, you know what? I'm, I'm thinking Michkov. So I have to ask you, because I understand all the concerns surrounding Michkov when the draft happened. If you were at that draft table, would you have drafted him with the fifth pick overall, knowing everything you know and all the concerns that were? What were the concerns? The concerns were, the were concerns? that he was going to be in the KHL for three years. There was a chance that he was going to re-sign an extension after three years. There was a concern that he might never come to the National Hockey League. There was that situation regarding the death of his father and who knows what happened that maybe had something to do with something or nothing. I don't know. So I'm glad you're asking me this, Craig, because for me, everyone ends up coming to the National Hockey League eventually. And if Michkov was going to come over in three years, because that's when his contract ended in the KHL, he would have had three more years of development, like you said. And when he would have got to the NHL, he would have been ready. And by that time, the Canadians would have turned the corner. So what's the problem? (laughs) 
Hey, I'm with you. So again, I, I, Austin Matthews, he, he did an interview with Mike Zeisberger of NHL.com. Yeah. And he said, I don't know why people wouldn't take me at my word. I said, I wanted to be here. I said, I wasn't going anywhere. And who are you listening to? So what I would say is, who, who are people listening to? Meechkoff stated he wanted to play in the NHL. He had a three-year contract. We all knew that. You're not drafted. You're looking at players, and you're, you're saying, what, what are the talents? How do they fit into our group? What do they do? I, I love, I love Joshua Watt. I think Joshua Watt is going to be a really, really good NHL player for the Montreal Canadiens. Now, he, he's in the minors. So at the end of this year, he might get a taste of some games in the NHL. He may not. But entering next year's training camp, he'll be all of 21 years of age. Oh, yeah. So he would have had two more years of junior, which he did. He was dominant. Another year, in the, like, growing in the minors. Exactly where Meechkoff's going to come in at 21. And not only is Meechkoff going to come in at 21, he's going to come in on an entry-level contract where there's going to be significant value if he's continued to grow his game offensively, where he adds for three years something massively massively valuable to your team from a contract point of view if he continues along the same path. So what I would say is, and, and, and I, I, we always have to uh, qualify it. Maybe we don't. You know, David Reinbacher is, again, celebrate what you're getting. Absolutely, in my view, zero downside drafted Meechkoff. Now, if you don't like Meechkoff or you like other, that's fine too. There's nothing wrong with saying we prefer other players. But don't not draft them because you think – of, of you're, you're getting caught up in all these speculative stories. Yermer Yager went fifth because of all the BS surrounding him. It wasn't even close who the best player in the draft was. And I don't care what anybody tells me about Owen Nolan, Peter Nedrick, Keith Primo, Mike Ricci. It wasn't close. The gap was as big as the Atlantic Ocean between Newfoundland and, and Great Britain. That's what the gap was. And everybody wanted to fall in, oh, Yager this, Yager that, Yager this, check this, check that, check your own stupid biases. Because four teams made massive mistakes in not drafting Yarmir Yager. If you say, I don't think he's that good, or I don't like him or whatever, that's fine. But when you start tying it all up into the stuff that doesn't matter, that's where, you, that's where the mistakes come back to haunt you. Yeah, but the stuff of, a, you know, an attitude problem started filtering out and people started talking about oh, Michkov is a bad egg. He's got an attitude problem, this and that. And he wouldn't fit into the culture with what we're trying to build here, right? Uh, some people had a whisper in their ears that, you know, Michkov is not on a bad attitude, bad attitude. That's why we stay away from him. To that, you say what? When you hear that a player has a bad attitude. Brett Hall had a bad attitude, I heard, when he played. <laughs> yeah, I just told you about the Yarmer Yager story. I yeah. think you, you can talk yourself out of any player, Tony, if you really want to. You can talk yourself out of any player if you really want to. And all these whisper campaigns and, and whatnot and people talking about it. And so, you know, Brett Hall, we signed Brett Hall in Dallas in 1998. I can tell you this, unsolicited over the period of time, you know, signing him in, 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 into our year that year, you'll never win a cup with, with Brett Hall. You'll never win a cup with Brett Hall. You know what's really funny? Out of the over 100 people that I heard that from, right to my face, not one of them ever came back and said, geez, uh, you guys won with Brett Hall. We were wrong. You know, everybody wants to do that. It happened with Yermer Yager. I'm going to take you back in time to, to a draft, and it was in 1994. And 
Jeff Friesen, as a 16-year-old in Regina, had scored 50 goals, or maybe not 50, but right around 50. 16-year-old. So the next year, Play he's for playing. San Jose. He's a top player. Yeah, he did. But he's, he's a top player for the draft, playing with the Regina Pats. Barry Frazier, excellent scout, let, you know, died recently, you know, with the Edmonton Oilers, made a comment early in the season about Jeff Friesen's attitude and everything that went with it. Well, Barry had a lot of credibility in the business. So we're going through now, th this happened early in the in, in the junior season. We were picking 20th that year. We got to the end, like as we're preparing in May, and we're hearing all this stuff about Jeff Friesen, and we're starting to think, is it possible? And we're you know, you're listening to people. He's gonna fall, he's gonna drop. He scored 50 that year. We went in, we went to Regina, and we spent two days there talking to all, everybody involved. We couldn't find like an unwrapped, a, 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 a ripped up gum wrapper that had been thrown on the road that Jeff Friesen had done. Our assistant coach, Rick Wilson, his wife was from, uh, Carol was from Meadow Lake. We, and we got, go back to Meadow Lake. We went all the way back to when he was playing in Meadow Lake. We couldn't find a shred. We couldn't find a droplet of anything negative on Jeff Friesen. We were picking, he went 11th. He should have gone in the top three. That's where he should have gone. He went 11th because of all the BS talk. And again, I'm going to tell you this. And I'm not, you know, too many scouts don't do the work. They listen with their ears instead of using their brains and, and, and investigating it. I've heard it for years. I will continue to hear it. It's never going to stop. Whisper campaigns. If you want to come out and say, hey, listen, we didn't draft Meechkoff because of this, just say that. But don't start doing the speculative BS and don't use whisper campaigns. Bottom line is, I saw no downside in drafting Meechkoff. If you want to draft somebody else, that's fine. Say that. But don't start with the other BS because that's what it is. Three games into the season, Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki have had two different players play right wing on that line. Josh Anderson played the first two. Raphael RV Pinard played last night. Suzuki is not going thus far after three games. Who would your right winger be on that line? Oh, geez, I'm not so sure I wouldn't put Cole back there and <laughs> put somebody, put Raphael over on the left wing. You know, you're, I, I know Cole getting the shooting angle coming in off the left wing, you know, gives him that opportunity. I know with Nick being a right-hand shot, he's looking at Cole. I know this is there. I think, you know, when you have Josh there, big, strong winger that can carve out space, it can lean in on defenders, create turnovers in the offensive zone. I think that that becomes, you know, something that you're looking at. But you also need – and I, I think Raphael can really think along the same lines as Nick and Cole. So right now, I'm going to give Raphael a little more time there. I am. I'm going to give him a little bit more time there because to be able to think at that level and think with those players I think is really important. Let's go back to Crosby. If I sat to you – we're in the coach's office, Tony, and you're the head coach. And I said, Tony – you know what? I got an idea here. And you go, what's that? I think we should play Pascal Dupuis and uh, Chris Kunitz with, with Sidney Crosby. What? Well, Chris Kunitz and, and Pascal Dupuis? And, and, you, and you go through it. Like, on, a, on first blush, you might not be on board for it. And I, I, probably, to, I probably would have told you, why are you going to play two third-line players with a first-line guy? 
Yeah. Well, it, which is fair. Yeah. That, now, now you have to make a case for it, right? And so forget what might have gone on, but they made a case based on their play with Sidney Crosby. Good players want to play with other players that they know they can give the puck to, they can get it back, they can make plays. It's not – everybody thought Phil Kessel going to Pittsburgh, he was going to score 60 goals playing with Crosby or Malkin. He didn't play with either one of them. And Phil's a really good player. And bottom line was, you just think, oh, we're just going to put top players there and they're going to be even better. That's not the way it works. And so I would give Raphael some time there. Let's see what he can do playing against other teams' best defensemen. He can think. Give it a little bit of time. I'd be patient with that right now. I wouldn't be looking to try to chance. Let's see what we can do. Nick's too good of a player. We yeah. know how good Cole is. Nick, I'm not worried about three games with Nick. He's too good. And I, I would give that a little more time. And it's funny you said what you said, because last night, one of the things I made note of was at the opening faceoff, Caulfield was lined up at right wing and Harvey Pernard was lined up at left wing and Caulfield <laughs> spent a lot of time on the right side. He only moved over to the left side on the power play because he wants to shoot off his off wing with a right-handed shot. All right. Okay. Uh, let's probably end with this. This has been amazing, by the way, Craig, man, have I enjoyed this conversation, the three goalie system. A lot of people say it doesn't work, but the Montreal Canadians, when they found out that a team inquired about Caden Primo, they said, no, no, he's going to start here. We're going to protect him. They have three goalies right now. Jake Allen started game number one in Toronto and lost. Montembeau started game number two versus Chicago and won. Montembeau last night dropped the ball the way Allen did in game one, and he lost as well. So now game four is on Saturday night versus the Washington Capitals. The week after that, they'll play four games that week. That's definitely an opportunity to give Caden Primo a game. We know Jake Allen's situation. He's under contract for a couple of years here at a number of just over 3.8. We know that Montembeau had a very encouraging season last season. And we know that Caden Primo hasn't proven anything yet in the National Hockey League, but it takes goalies longer to develop. So what do we do with this? <laughs> you know, it's a, it's, you, you, you know, I understand where Montreal's at with this. They're trying to protect you know, the, the potential of Caden Primo. And you, and, and, and you have a fear that you're going to lose him. You spent this time with him. You've seen glimpses of what he may be capable of. You, you point out where Jake is at, where Samuel's at, in terms of not only their age, but also their contract scenarios. And, and you don't want to just lose players. And, and I understand that. But at the same time, you know, I think you make a great point about where their opportunity to play Caden will be. But think about it. When was the last time Caden Wolf played when he put him into the net at that point in time? And, 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 and maybe the Montreal Canadiens look at it and go, well, there's really no downside for us. Either he plays really well or he doesn't, and then maybe that's when you slip him down to the minors on waivers. Because a lot of teams, and that's the, well, he played good, we'll pick him up and everything. You know, you got to be scouting over a period of time. You know, the, the, the system right now with the money and how teams have allocated their money, don't leave – a lot of luxury to pick up players on waivers. And you got to really believe in them. And so you look around the league, I, I respect that Montreal's done their homework and they're looking at it. And, and that fear is real. You don't want to lose players, especially players you've invested in. So I, I, I think right now it's something they're prepared to live with. You got to really understand that Caden now, when does he get, you might be better off putting Caden 
like into the position to get ready for a game by by saying, "Hey, Jake, we're going to sit you out tonight," or Sam and Caden, you're going to be the backup because Caden, you're playing the next game, right? And 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 do it that way. And and you know, so the the guy that played last, he sits out. Caden plays the backup. Who's ever playing that night? Caden, you're going in the next night, and that guy is going to sit out and then get that. Don't wait and, until Caden's too far out of the rhythm. I, I would be having him dressed as a backup before I put him in as a starter. But I understand where they're at. Does it work long-term, Tony? I don't think so. When the Canadians become a competitive team, however long that may take, in your opinion, will Samuel Montembeau and or Caden Primo be one of their goalies? One, not both. And and if I'm betting on anybody, I'm betting on Samuel. Got it. All right. Okay. So uh, we know the Canadians are in a rebuild, and we know that they lost Kirby Doc for the season, and we know that Caden Gooley got hurt last night. I hate to ask you this early about the 2024 draft, but is there something to look forward to? <laughs> oh, there sure is. I mean, I, I you know, I, I I've been out. I've watched the games. I mean. I mean, Macklin Celebrini is a is a heck of a player. Oh, yeah. Cole Eiserman, oh, he, he's a Jonathan Taze type. That's who he is. He's a Jonathan Taze type player. Well, Cole Eiserman uh, is an Alexander Ovechkin uh, type player. He wants to drive the puck through the net, not into the net. And he just went into BU, Boston University, and uh, there was uh, he. And so BU was the number one ranked team in the country in the NCAA. The under-18, the USA under-18 team went into BU. They beat BU 8-2. to two. Cole Eisenman had three goals and two assists. This kid is top drawer. Wow. If anybody tells you that one player or the other is a clear-cut favorite for the, for the 2024 20, first overall pick, they are. They're neck and neck. They're 1A, 1A. They are unbelievable players. One's a great goal scorer. One's just a great underpinning, two-way Jonathan Tace type player. So those are the top end of the draft. But after that, there's some really, really there's there's some good defensemen. You know, Demidoff's going to come into this conversation. He got hurt yeah. with the kneecap, so there might be an injury situation. But there is a heck of a Russian defenseman playing. So yeah. by the name of oh, is he good? Torpedo, like, right now, he was uh, he was one of the players of the week on a couple of occasions thus far in the KHL. He's playing 18 minutes a game as a 17 year old. Let me tell you this, Tony. In the KHL, 17-year-old players, they don't even know their name. They don't even get a look in the lineup. To play that many minutes tells you how good you have to be. And he, he right now, I mean, him and the Lashunov kid who plays at Michigan State, they might be the two best defensemen in the draft. The interesting thing, I just want to go back to that BU game, Cole Eiserman who's got a great chance to break Cole Caulfield's goal-scoring record oh, really, at the yeah. National Under-8. Oh, yeah, I think he will break it, Cole. And Lane Hudson's younger brother, Cole Hudson, who is a really terrific player, Cole Eisenman had three goals. Cole Hudson had two. They showed everybody what good prospects they are. You know, it's going to be an exciting draft. Lots of good players in this draft, and, and I'll go even deeper than that. Lots of high-end players that can play in important, integral roles for a team that ultimately wants to raise a 25th Stanley Cup banner.
Hey, I know there's absolutely no relation whatsoever. As a matter of fact, the family names are spelled completely different. One starts with a Y and the other one starts with an E. But the way I look at it, you can't go wrong with anyone named Iserman. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't. And you're not going to go wrong with Cole Iserman either. I mean, terrific, terrific player. And again, like I really think that the first overall pick in this coming draft will be if you got centers and you're looking for a goal-scoring winger, Eisenman's your guy. If you don't have centers and you have some wingers that are good, you're going for the you're you're, you're going uh, for the center. If you, if you have wingers and not centers, you're going for the center. It's not like last year where it didn't matter what you had. You're you're taking Bedard. You're taking McDavid. You're taking Matthews. There's no question what your drafts. This coming draft, it'll come down to what a team's uh, young prospect group looks like. And, yeah. and, and what that team wants. It's not a 1A, 1A for those two kids. Yeah, you know, uh, Craig, uh, Grant McCagg, who's a former scout with the Montreal Canadiens and the Bob Gainey regime, uh, when Trevor Timmons was the head of amateur scouting, uh, recruits and recruits.ca, he does a sick podcast, a draft uh, podcast. And uh, those names that you talked about, he's got them there. And he's got Sileyev, like, really climbing fast. And he thinks when all is said and done, don't be surprised if he could be the guy at the end. Of, look, he's six foot seven, two hundred and ten pounds. That's hard to pass up on, right? Well, and he can skate, and he can make plays. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, it's pretty awesome. You, hey, listen, listen. The Ottawa Senators passed on Chris Pronger, and what did Alexander Dig say? Nobody remembers who went second. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Everybody remembers <laughs> who went second now, and uh, everybody remembers who went first that year. But unfortunately, for the wrong reason. But I would imagine that Alex has done okay for himself anyway. Craig, this was one of the best natural fluent just it was uh, it was fluid it was it was it was just smooth it was fun it was really fun i hope we can do it again sometime soon we are going to do it sometime soon and listen the game is like you know we you know it's serious it's competition but it's fun if we're not going to have fun doing this let's just check out let's just go live under a rock somewhere yeah i had a lot of fun i hope you did too yeah. I did. You can count on it, Tony. I look forward to our next visit. Thank you. You're, very much. you're a treat for everyone listening and watching. He is Craig Button, Director of Scouting for TSN, and he will be a regular collaborator on most Wednesdays right here on the Sick Podcast. Thank you, Craig. Thanks. All right. Okay. Before we break away, it's my opportunity to once again thank our partners, Energy Transportation Group, a leading full-service logistics provider serving all of North America, driven to be different. Also, these guys here, brewed in Quebec and a winner of a dozen international awards, La Bitta TB offers quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. La Bitta TB Embrace your true nature. And, of course, Playground. The WPT, Global October Millions, is in full swing at Playground Day 1s for $300,000 guaranteed multi-day mega accumulator are scheduled all week. And the $1 million guaranteed main event starts October 26th. Visit playground.ca for details. I want to thank all of you for watching. And I want you to comment Sick, S-I-C-K, 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 if you like the podcast. We're growing every day. Now over 14,000 subscribers on YouTube. Like it, share it with your friends. Tell them that the number one Habs talk in the world takes place on the Sick Podcast. Weeknights at 10 p.m. This is your one-stop shop where you will hear Eric Engels, Maxim Lapierre, 
Craig Button, George Larac, Stu Cowan, Anthony Martino, Marc-Andre Perrault, Grant McCagg, Simo the Snake Boisvert, Charles-Alexis Brisbois, Mike Johnson, and many others. A shout-out to sportbuffshop.com. Shop all your sports licensed lifestyle apparel, including hoodies, caps, and T-shirts of your favorite teams from all major leagues at sportbuffshop.com. Use code SICK10 for 10% off on all of their items. I hope you enjoyed Craig Button. I thought he was on fire tonight. Ufumu, my friend. El Fuego. We'll be back tomorrow night. Same time, same place. Yellow, Sammy, and Juliana at Master Control. They're Cavallaro. Me? I'm Marinaro. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinaro on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground, your premier gaming destination.